Well, hello, everyone. Welcome to the Self Preservational Nine podcast. And I am so excited to be uh, with the three of you. And uh, we're going through the instincts this season. And this is what's going to be really fascinating is to learn so much about how the instincts make a big difference in the way the type expresses itself. The core still remains the same, but the expression is very different. And even the way that, uh, say, comfort in the, say, in, in the nine or peace in the nine shows up is going to be different uh, because of the instinct. And so just a little bit on the nine as a reminder, type nines tend to seek comfort and peace and harmony as a way of avoiding uh, the discomfort of disruption and, uh, and seeking to maintain this sort of inner calm. And so there's uh, some features that come with that. We'll explore those as we go through the instincts. So once again, welcome. And I'm so excited to get started. So let's begin with the first question. How does your need for comfort or peace or harmony play itself out through the instinct of self-preservation? And again, when we think self-preservation, we're thinking of things like nesting, you know, the home, like resources, having enough and maintaining those resources. You know, we're thinking about things that have to do with rhythms and routines and all of these sort of things come into play when we're talking about the self-preservational instinct. So, how does comfort, peace, and harmony for you as a nine show up in those realms? This is Alyssa. Um, I think for me, home and routines, comfort of home and routines definitely stuck out for me. I'm always asking the question, when are we going to be home? I, I can go on vacation, but it's only for so long. My sister lives here in town and it's, do you want to have dinner? Yeah, but you can come here. <laughs> I love your house, but you come here. I, I want to stay home. And with that comfort, the, the peace in the house, I know where things are. Things are orderly. Things are picked up in my home, but don't open my closet doors. Now I know where everything is in the closet, but it is chaos in there and it stresses me out. And so it's just easier to put those things that don't feel like they have a good place out of sight and out of mind. And that feels much more comfortable for me. The other element of that is routines for sure. Almost every day, day in and day out is identical for me. I teach fitness with refit in a local at local community. And I have teach with the same people, similar community coming to every fitness class. I work a job I've worked for the last 15 years. Um, so for me, it's routine, very much having structure. I lean into that. The other part of that is sleep. Comfort, I think, goes with sleep. I, mm. I love sleep. And there, my husband always asks me two things when I'm crabby. Do you need a nap or do you need a snack? I'm like a two-year-old <laughs> child. I might be 40, but I'm kind of like a two-year-old child. And sometimes I need that guidance. And it's generally one of those two things. So that's, that's for me how those things show up. Perfect. I love that. A snack or a nap. <laughs> I think a lot of people would like that. Like, yeah, I'll tell you, I'll definitely a nap or a snack. That's, that's perfect. I love how, too, that, that, that the way you describe the, the routines and that being that sort of enhances the tendency of the nine already to seek things that are stable, you know, stasis is what we're looking for. So yeah. I know what to expect. I mean, for me, that's, that's part of that too. The routine, I never have to guess 
the unexpected. So, yeah. Well, this is Debbie and I am a 62 year old widow. And so my, my husband's passed in 2013. My children are grown and gone. And so I'm kind of learning to discover myself all of a sudden without all my people around to sort of protect me from the world, which I think is a really good growth space for me. Uh, But when I was thinking about comfort, I thought about loose clothing, uh, soft clothing. When I was young, my mom was trying to spit me up a bit and I didn't like the feeling of the attractive clothing. So that I thought that's interesting. Anything fleece is great. Um, I thought about, I tend to wear clothing that I can blend into a group and not stand out. And I thought that was another thing that my mom, again, trying effort to spit me up and send me out to be productive in the world. And I thought, oh, good grief. I don't want to wear something new. But if people say something, you know, I want to wear something neutral and blend. And then, uh, like Lisa said, I I like the predictable routines, familiar routines, the food, same food every day, comfort foods, eaten in a routine way, time for eggs and toast because it's 10 a.m. And that's the mid-morning snack. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, So that's when I thought of it. And then with peace, Mm. I realized that I'll reframe conversations from negative to positive in order to lower my anxiety level, Hmm. which for a long time, I think I didn't realize I was doing that. I thought, well, why would we want this chaotic fighting? The best thing to do is for everyone to stay calm. But upon deeper reflection, I realized it was because I wanted to feel calm. Hmm. And so people might be in a lively discussion but it made me feel anxious. What if they start beating each other up or if they talk about negative things, I think let's keep it positive and calm. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So one other thing I thought is interesting about peace now that I'm grown and everyone's gone because I'm having to do my own battles now because my husband who was a three, he was the one that was the front facing part of the family. And so sometimes if I feel overwhelmed with bills or, buying insurance or all those things, then I'll go back to pretending like I'm 11 again. So I can go back in my bedroom, sit in a chair and think about what it was like to be 11 or go in my backyard and get into nature and pick up an acorn and remember myself when I was 11. I thought it's not that hard because I'm only 11. How hard could it be? So those were my, my peace and comfort. I love it. My name is Susan. I just turned 70 this month to have two married daughters and five grandchildren. My husband and I have been married for 48 years. This is a time of the COVID situation. And as a self-pres nine, my tendency is to be just fine. I can spend a week and not leave the house, not have to go any further than to the mailbox. And I'm I'm great with that. Uh, I was never an outdoor I'm not an outdoor person, but I have a nice garden with flowers. And so a good day for me is to get the wheelbarrow out and move the rocks around and make it pretty. My husband had a kind of job that before I retired, we moved around a lot, but I could always, on a shoestring, I could make the house look pleasant. I did my own upholstery. I made my own curtains. And people would say they had a sense of peace and comfort, the gift of hospitality when they would be in my house. When COVID hit, I had plenty of toilet paper. 
I had plenty of food. It wasn't a big deal. I could wait until there was the lines weren't too bad. So that is primarily through the house. I am not at all into fitness. As a body type, I would rather ignore my body. It will complain once in a while. And as opposed to you, Debbie, wearing comfortable clothes, I wear black because it makes me look thin. That way I can eat and not exercise and I can get away with that. So uh, I'm sort of known as my wardrobe is rather limited, but I don't, I don't worry much about how I look. Uh, the resources, uh, we're in a good state financially, but I carry coupons. If it's a two for one, we are going to Burger King because I can get a $2 sandwich and we don't have to do that. It's ingrained in me, I guess. Mm. Mm. You guys are like my best friends. We need to hang out. (laughs) I'm so at home with you. I feel so at home with you. It's funny, Debbie, hearing you talk about your clothes. My parents, you know, you dress up to go to church on Sunday. And I was as a teenager, like, God loves me even in sweatpants. And I could not convince my mom that God was okay with me wearing sweatpants to church. But darn it, I wear sweatpants to church now. (laughs) Oh man, I so love how the comfort level, even in this Zoom room right here, is is pretty high. Yeah, you found your people and you're understanding each other from the inside. What I like about the way you're describing this is you can see how it is distinctly different than, say, the other subtypes. And we're going to look at the other subtypes in the weeks to come. And this is going to be incredibly helpful for folks to hear about this. But the way you describe, like, I do like comfortable clothing. And Debbie, you said, I, but I don't want to stand out. I'm not wanting to broadcast. Same thing with the way you describe Susan. You're wearing black, you know, to give yourself a look. But you don't care about the appearance. The appearance isn't the, the important thing. And that's different than the sexual nine. And so this is really highlighting those differences. It's very physical, too. The way you're describing this, very, there's a lot of physicality to it. So it's the elements. It's like food and clothing, uh, health and well-being. But when we talk about this, those three categories of the, the home, the resources, and then health and well-being, it doesn't mean that you have to have all three to have that as your dominant. I just want to make sure that folks understand this, because as you said, Susan, that's not your thing. And that's okay, because it doesn't have to be your thing for you to still have self-preservation as your dominant. Kind of look at it as two out of the three. The majority of it is where we live. So really good. I I so appreciate your thoughts around this. Let's talk about another feature of the nine, the ability to merge. uh, That's both a strength and it also, of course, is a weakness. But the ability to merge or the tendency to merge, oftentimes unconsciously by the nine, in order to kind of Eh, this this is easier. It's easier than to than to have to think of what my priorities are, what I should be doing, and even very busy nines will do that. It's it's you know kind of like anything but my priorities. So talk to me about how merging tends to play out through the self preservation instinct. Well, I can start on that one. This is Susan again. There were four of us in my family of origin, uh, boy, girl, girl, boy. I'm the oldest girl, so I've always been very motherly. Their other two have strong personalities. My brother's an eight, my sister's a three, or identifies with those types. And so they they push back on mom and dad. And I found out real early, just laying low and not having strong opinions uh, was the way to get by. And the fact is, I don't have a lot of strong opinions. I'm married to a wonderful man who takes excellent care of me. And so 
I don't have too many things that I'm going to stick up for. But if I have to, it's very difficult, very difficult for me to actually give him my opinion. And for years, he did not realize I had an opinion. And it worked out easier for him if he didn't push. But when we've been studying the Enneagram, this has really been wonderful for us because he can understand me a little better and, and I can understand him. Mm. Oh, thank you. I think it's really interesting what Susan said about a lot of people seem to think Enneagram nines are really indecisive. Mm. But in my experience, we're just really good at knowing the other person wants what they want far more than we do. We might want to go one place, but we can feel that they have 10 times the feelings about going to the other place. Mm. I think we very often lean into just letting them um, rather than what feels like being presented as a false choice. Like, do you want to go here, but actually possibly arguing with the choices of the nine till we get down to where the other person wanted to go in the first place. Mm. Um, So that's kind of interesting to think about coming across as indecisive sometimes. And do you anticipate, are you anticipating the, I can kind of pick up that someone wants something. And so I'm going to pull back. I I see you nodding, Susan. Oh yeah. Yeah. My daughter's a sexual four. And she said when she was young, mom, let's play that really fun game where I ask you where you want to go. And then I shoot down all your choices and then we'll (laughs) go where I want to go. I love that game. (laughs) (laughs) oh my goodness that's this is Alyssa. sometimes it's just easier than trying to decide what i want Mm. i mean like every every friday my husband says what do you want to do for eating out there's only like five restaurants i like so i don't know you just yeah yep Sometimes it's just easier than trying to debate. And for me, this is Alyssa still what merging i will be whatever you need me to be if I walk into this conversation and there isn't a leader, I can be the leader. If there is someone more dominant, then I will stand back. I can be very eight-ish. I have started nonprofits. I created a fitness group. I work for Weight Watchers. I can be in a leader role. But through coaching 101 and 201 sessions, um, there are some dominant eights or some dominant sevens and I will sit quiet. I will be the last to speak, giving myself 30 seconds to three minutes to share because there wasn't, I didn't feel like there was space for me. So I can super easy merge to whatever role you need me to be in that space. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I want to come back to that space word you use like this. This is a common feature of nines feeling like I'm taking up too much space and I need to pull back. So with that being said, if I'm in leadership role, I'm exhausted afterwards. This will be the end of my day. I will be tapped out after talking, especially about myself. Yeah. I was thinking also about the merging. I have found looking back, I love to work in social situations where there's a project, but I often take the role of the detailed person paired with like a three, seven, or eight, even though I'm capable of seeing the big picture and playing a leadership role. I kind of revert to the the detail support person. And I think, again, because it feels much safer than taking the risk of being the person that may, first of all, I don't want the acclaim. And second, I don't want the pushback if a mistake is made. I don't know if that's what you might mean by merging, but it feels like merging. 
Mm. Well, I can speak to that a little bit. And this is this is Susan. I like to be the leader and I'm unusual in that. And I like to be noticed. Uh, I did drama as a kid and I'm real comfortable with that sort of stuff. But Alicia, you had mentioned if somebody feels like I'm getting in their space and wants to fight me for it, I will fold like a cheap suit. I will withdraw. I'm a very good leader and I've had wonderful experience as long as everybody's happy for me to be there. I'm a groupie for that. I love that motherliness that that comes out. I've been questioned, is there a lot of two in me? And uh, I went to a typing interview and the difference on that is I don't look for this kind of stuff. If it shows up, I'm good at it. But I don't go looking for, for people to connect with. And I will do anything to avoid a conflict. That physically makes me sick. So I, I withdraw. Mm. You may be listening to this and thinking like, well, that's interesting because, you know, for me as a self president nine, I, I don't want to be in the limelight. I don't want to be front and center. I don't want to be leading or I don't want to be seen or the attention on me. But this is where the sequence and how this all plays out, that there, even if you have a dominant instinct, you might have. Uh, you might have something from the sexual instinct or the social instinct that's been developed in you. And this is what's wonderful about this is that we can develop these other aspects. And to our surprise, sometimes we actually start to enjoy certain aspects of, of the other instincts. And so I see a little bit of that in, in uses and, and that's wonderful. So uh, this is what makes us so fascinating as humans is we have all of this within us and we are very varied, but there is a similarity to what's happening here in terms of the all three of you have said, like, if someone else is leading and someone else steps up, I pull back. If someone else has a stronger opinion, a stronger desire, I acquiesce. I'm always giving in and then go along and sometimes even forgetting, well, maybe more than sometimes, often forgetting who am I and what do I want? And that that oftentimes happens for type nines. There's one other thing that made me think about the sense of fear with conflict and I was pondering that the other day, and so I have some friends that are eights, and sometimes when they talk to me, they get right up in my face. doesn't matter if they're upset or not, but they'll get real close, and if they're upset, then I almost feel like my body's having a fear response that they never intended to set off in me, but then I almost feel flooded with panic in a situation that's not dangerous. So I don't know if that's a nine thing or self-protective thing, mm. uh, but my friends that are eights, they seem very surprised by that because they'll say, oh, you know, I was just, um, just talking. I certainly would never hit you or anything like that. And, and I know they wouldn't, but it feels that way. Mm. Oh, well, it goes to the, the intensity that you're picking up. It sounds like you're picking up on intensity. And once again, intensity feels threatening. That's a lot of energy coming at me. Let's talk about narcotization and the dimming of one's awareness as a nine. So doing what one can to not feel, <laughs> to not have these things, you know, these disruptive feelings come up and sort of dimming, like pulling the dial down a little bit so as not to have, you know, full awareness of what is troubling me and really paying attention to that. Could you talk to that and in, in how that maybe shows up and that it'll show up differently again through the instinct. So I'd love to hear how, how that shows up for you. This is Alyssa. I, for me, I always have things to do. I'm always in quotes, unquote, busy. Uh, there's always something to do. 
I very rarely sit and do nothing, although I do love to garden and all those things uh, Susan mentioned. But to me, that's staying busy, having something to do. For, for myself, I think I just, it's easy to not stop and think about what's going on or what happened or how I'm feeling or all of that by, by staying busy, busy physically and busy in the mind. The other thing is a relationship for me, easy to fall asleep to feelings by food. I have been overweight my whole life, struggled with weight. I lost a hundred pounds on Weight Watchers and I now work for the company, but like a lot of people who struggle with food, it goes up and down and I use food and exercise in an, in an unhealthy way. And a lot of that is to fall asleep. I feel like is to fall asleep with my growth through coaching sessions through Art of Growth. I've realized that that really is the pattern for me mm. that is part of falling asleep, forgetting, not realizing, not creating space for feelings. Mm. Uh, this is Susan. And I have a, a routine at night, right around seven, eight o'clock. My husband and I retire to the family room to watch what we refer to as mindless television. It's not anything you have to think about. Mindless TV, you bet, off we go. And uh, after a couple hours of that, I don't go to sleep then until I've done either a Sudoku or a crossword puzzle. Now, you'll notice there is no competition in anything that I do. I know people who are competitive. That would upset me to do something where there's winners and losers. Because if I'm the winner, I feel bad for the loser. And if I'm in the loser, I feel bad for me. (laughs) But mindless television, that works. And then these little puzzles. And we did some leadership work in Eastern Europe. And uh, I didn't have mindless television because I don't speak Russian. (laughs) I can order coffee and that's about it. But I brought my Sudoku and it was almost as if it was a drug. I needed that. And when something upsetting would happen, I would pull that out. And that's another thing with the nine. We were out on the street all the time. We had no car. It was public transportation. And I loved doing the the leadership work we were doing, but I didn't feel safe until we were back in the flat. And I I pulled out just before bed my Sudoku. So it's... um, What's, what's the word, Joel? It's, Pronounce it for me. Yeah. <laughs> it's knuckleization. It's a tough word. It should That's definitely right. have an easier one to... Can't, to, to can't even get it out. <laughs> and this is Debbie. And I was thinking about that. And I thought what I do when I'm overwhelmed by situation, I think is another strategy for quelling anxiety. Mm. But I don't think about doing it. I just automatically start doing it. So I'll wander around the house, addressing whatever's in front of me. So if it's a cat that looks hungry, I feed it. If it's a piece of paper that looks easy to digest, I'll read it. If it's a piece of paper that looks complicated, I'll set it aside. And I'm just astonished to realize I can let an hour go by, wandering the house, doing whatever's right in front of me. But it is great for anxiety. Um, (laughs) Let's see. The other thing I was thinking was I'll put off important decisions because that feels like it's going to be stressful. The same way I'll put around might put aside a financial paper. If I have an important decision, I'll be one of those people with the to-do list that I just bump it to the next day and the next day and the next day, because then I can forget about it for a while. And then sometimes I can even get up and have a plan to go do something and be distracted 15 seconds later. And (laughs) I will tap my head and say, think, Debbie, think. And it almost pulls my mind up to like, oh, yeah, 
That's why we're in this room. So that's my kind of, not intentional, but what I yell do to lower anxiety or, um, or just, I don't know, go into my body. And it's probably much more so now that I'm a widow uh, and there's really no one to stop me from wandering. <laughs> I'd say, what are you doing? <laughs> call it wandering Debbie this is Alyssa it's purposeful like it's the staying busy I never thought about it as wandering I just say I'm staying busy but yeah it's so funny because it's the this is what sloth described as the vice of the nine you know the the slothfulness but it doesn't show up necessarily as inactivity all the time because you can have a very, very active nine, moving around, doing things, doing all, but it, you're describing it perfectly. Is that like, oh, I read a piece of paper, I pick it up. Oh, too difficult to read, set it down. I, this is an issue that's, so anything that's creating that disruption, it's like, we're going we're gonna to do whatever keeps us in that nice hum, that nice, calm space that you inhabit as a way to defend against some of these anxieties that are coming towards you. So, Oh, I did have one other thought about sloth, that I, I generally won't initiate non-project-based interpersonal connections because I feel like I'm going to open up a floodgate of people that will want me to be emotionally supportive. But for the people I do create that space for, one thing the Art of Growth helped me with was setting some time boundaries. And that turned out to be a a much better approach than just staying in my house and not answering texts or not picking up phone calls. I don't know if this is kind of true for nines, but I think we also end up paired with stronger personalities that have a certain kind of intensity that it's comforting to be around someone that's a good listener. I don't know why in my mind I related it to sloth, but maybe doing a lot of listening and feeling not like I'm not accomplishing a lot mm. or being afraid of other stronger personalities, because what if their needs are too big for me to handle? Mm. So. Yeah. Yeah. So we mentioned uh, sloth, which was my uh, last question about this, um, the dominant instinct, this sort of self-forgetting. So if there's anything else you want to say about that, like the the self-forgetting part that uh, shows up through doing a lot of projects. I, I remember one nine telling me, oh man, I know I've got a project and I got to get it done, but somehow that door handle needs to be fixed. And so I go and start fixing the door handle. And it's like, it's it's amazing how that happens. And he says, I've accomplished a whole lot of things. I just didn't get done. The one project that I was supposed to get done that's due tomorrow, you know? Yeah. This is Alyssa. I have had blue painters tape on my walls. We started painting our house, this room in March when COVID started. And I've had blue painters tape to paint the rest of the living room for a month now, the paint and the containers are sitting now moved out of the way because seeing them stressed me out, but just paint the room. Like that's what I'm telling myself. Just paint the room. It's not that hard. Take, but right. I can't, I can't. And the thought process of starting same with laundry, our, our laundry's in the basement. Thank goodness. Throw it down the laundry chute. My husband works from the basement, bless his soul, or we wouldn't have any clean clothes because I'll go down there and it's daunting. It's like, I don't even know where to start. There's so much laundry. Nothing's full. I mean, I don't even, it's just too much. And the other part of that for me, the sloth part, I think, is sleep. Food and exercise, but sleep is my other coping mechanism for everything. So uh, in bed at eight, 
not up past nine. Even as a child, my parents would say that the neighborhood kids were playing outside and it was eight o'clock on a summer night when it's light till 1030 and I didn't have a bedtime and it didn't matter. I was still in bed by eight o'clock. So, but I'm also awake at six o'clock every morning. Routine, routine, routine. Yeah. Yeah. The rhythm itself provides a measure of comfort, that ability to just kind of go along, flow with these external rhythms as opposed to creating one. And, and, uh, and I, I hear that in what you're describing. And this is Susan. Uh, the way sloth shows up for me is I don't spread myself too thin. I don't volunteer for things that I, I don't really want to do and that I can do well. And uh, at one point, I started thinking that there's always something to do for the kids, for the husband, for the neighbor, for the house. What do I do for me? And what I do for me is I do things for others. I'll bake something. I'm into uh, macarons now. I make macarons for the whole neighborhood. For me to decide this is, is important to me. At age 50, I got a Master of Divinity in Pastoral Counseling. And a few years ago, I finished a program. I had to fly to California to take a class. That's a big deal for me. Big deal. But I ended up getting some expertise that I can use for other people. So that's a growth thing for me. Because typically, Mm -hmm. I can shuffle around like you, Debbie, and find all sorts of little things to do um, or do things for other people. But it occurred to me, I just turned 70. I don't have that many more years. If I don't figure out what I want to do, they'll be there at my casket saying, she sure could bake some good cookies. But <laughs> I, I'd like something else. <laughs> and and I ate those good cookies, Susan. I'm, <laughs> I appreciate nines that make good cookies. Uh-huh. Can I put a plug in for coaching? I feel like I'm in coaching 201 uh, right now. And that we just worked on I am statements like, and you're right, Susan, I totally, this is Alyssa. I totally too. I, I am, and you fill in the blank and it belongs to every, it belongs to all the things I do for others. I don't know who, that was one of like the eye, eyeball, eye crying moments in coaching 101 with Art of Growth is, mm-hmm. I don't know who I am without those things. I can't tell you. And so plug for coaching. If you've never done it, group coaching with Art of Growth, do it. It's life changing. It's awesome. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> Well, let's uh, talk about the neutral instinct. So you have your dominant instinct, and then there's the neutral one. The one that doesn't really cause any problems for you, you do it. It's okay. You feel somewhat unaffected by it. It It's not like it's a problem in your life, but it it doesn't get as much airtime as, say, the dominant instinct. So which one is the neutral one for you, and how do you use it? Um, How do you use it in your your, uh, day-to-day? Maybe talk about how even the dominant instinct and the neutral one kind of interact with each other. Well, this is Debbie, and I can think of an immediate example of how I've blended those two. Uh, My next instinct is social, and I love the structure of most social situations that are institution-based. I love the rules. We have a meeting. It starts at 7. It ends at 8.15. The structure feels protective, a protective place to lean into my social side. 
And uh, I also like to be in a big group to pick up on a lot of positive energy, especially if the group is having fun. If there's a lot of fighting, you know, I'll tend to avoid groups with a lot of intense personalities. But um, if there's some kind of social expectation that this will not be a, a group that has a lot of fighting, let's say, uh, not that the fighting's bad. A lot of times that's very productive. I have found out from my eight friends, it's like exchanging ideas in a very exciting and healthy way. Nothing to be afraid of, no personal attacks. But for me, I, I would like to float around the edges of social groups in my nondescript clothing, like a fly on the wall, because it was so much fun to observe and pick up the energy. My friends and I divided ourselves into who wants to be in the kitchen and who wants to be waited on. And we were all the in the kitchen people. You know, we could go in, we could set out the little plate of food, kind of see what's going on, retreat to the kitchen with our, our buddies. So those are how, for me, those play out. So mm-hmm. I have a really fun social life that's extremely structured. I don't really enjoy hosting people in my home because I lose control of everything. What if they want to step and talk till like 9.15 at night? How am I going to handle that? I don't know. (laughs) But if I go out to a restaurant, that waiter's going to come by and they're going to give me those signals like you've been in the booth too long. And I'm thinking, hooray, we accomplished socialization and now we get to go back to the house. Oh, man, that is so well said, Debbie. I, I see some head nodding, so I'd love to hear from the two of you. Yeah. I am, to a fault, I'm good at reading body language. And sometimes I'll think, oh, they're really upset with me. And the fact is they just have something in their eye or you know, it can backfire. But for the most part, I'm really sensitive about that. I love being in groups as long as they are non-threatening. As I've said before, if there's somebody that, that thinks... I want a leadership position that they feel they're entitled to. And I'm not pushy. So they'd have to be making that up because I'm never going to fight you for it. I like serving. I started volunteering when I was in seventh grade and I have never stopped. I taught school for nine months, a special ed teacher, a, a millennial ago. And aside from that, everything I do is, is as a volunteer. And the beauty of that, I didn't think about it, is if it gets too tough, if it gets competitive, if there's a conflict, I'm a volunteer. I can quit. And I do quit. I have accountability sisters and we meet every couple of weeks. I told them about 10 years ago, I'm seeing a pattern here. Don't let me do that. Again, that was a growth thing for me. I love being parts of groups, but only if I feel appreciated and it's it's non-conflict of any sort, if that makes sense. I too, social is my second. I find myself in those situations often sitting here thinking about it. Many of those situations, I created that space of social. I lead the workshops for Weight Watchers. I teach the fitness classes. I started the organization for non, uh, for volunteering when I was a teenager. Um, And so I guess for me, social is definitely part of me and that feels safe, especially if I've created it and I know the expectations of that social situation or space and I know my role 
I go to a instructor convention uh, for refit and you throw me in that room with 250 or 350 other instructors and I will sit quietly. That That's hard for, I, I won't take leadership role. I find it very exhausting. I need my space. When uh, at teaching fitness classes, one of us greets and one of us sets up. I'm always the one setting up, but I will be happy to talk to you if you come over to me, but I won't stand by the door always to be the greeter. Not that I don't like it. It's just not my preference. And I just realized I don't like showing up to groups late. That is a huge thing for me. I don't want to be early, 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 but I do not want to be late. And I was just digesting all the conversation and thinking, why don't I want to do that in social situations? And it's because then people look at me. Then I am all of a sudden uh, seen as the person who shows up late. Yeah. Social is my second. Yeah. Yeah. Wonderful. Let's talk about the neglected center. This is the one that does create some uh, reaction from us, or it's something that we ignore, but it's more of a deliberate, like, I don't want to deal with this. So let's talk about that one. Uh, which one is your neglected? Obviously, it would be for the three of you, uh, the, the sexual instinct. What problems has it caused you and how are you going through it? So those three questions. Uh, this is Debbie. I can speak to that. I think um, a lot of us have experienced some social appropriateness expectations as we were growing up. I don't know if that was more unique to the time I was raised, but there were a lot of things that were socially appropriate, appropriate for a particular space. Like this is the room where you're quiet. This is the room where you, you would never want to throw out any sexual energy because we don't do that in this space. I sort of got that mixed up in my mind with the, the good side of, of sexual expression or intensity and, and think if I'm calm and I'm quiet and I don't flirt inappropriately with people I'm not supposed to be flirting with, then that is the way to go. So I think I deliberately suppress that energy. Don't yell. Don't get in a fight. Like I said, you know, don't flirt with other people inappropriately. I learned sort of over time to intentionally suppress it. And then the other thought that came through to me is how I moralize the behavior in different settings so that I have a twin sister and a younger sister. My twin sister passed away, but she had a lot of, I would call it sexual energy. And so I could moralize my type by thinking I'm the appropriate one. And she's the, oh, you shouldn't be like that one. Just throwing that energy all over, not paying any attention to what you're doing with it. And then the other thing I was thinking about, I had some frustration with people that had more energy than I did. So I was sort of jealous of it, but also sort of moralizing that, that I, I must be a better person than them. So that's mm. that interesting conflict yeah. with that kind of energy. Yeah. Well, yeah. Thanks for saying that. I mean, that's a transparent and definitely appreciate that. And for those who are listening to this and thinking sexual energy, remind me what's that about, but that's the, exactly how you described it, that kind of putting that energy out there, the broadcasting, the sort of charm and, and that desire to really have deep connection that's called sometimes fusion when that risk taking, you know, breaking patterns and habits and, you know, coming home at whatever night they want to and eating whenever they want to eat and all that, uh, that's all part of that sexual energy. This is Alyssa. I can go next. 
Um, one-to-one is my lowest instinct uh, avoidance for me, for sure. Avoiding uh, that kind of energy, avoiding people who choose to have that kind of uh, risk or pushing the envelope, even intense one-on-one relate long-term relationships or even intense one-on-one short-term relationships. Um, I have uh, my husband and my sister are my best friends. I have social friends that are, those of you who are listening, you are my friends, but but my true, and for me, um, if I let that intensity happen, they, I might expose myself. They might figure out who I am. I might figure out who I am. Uh, And that's scary. I mean, to be honest, you know, I promised myself I wouldn't cry when I'm on here, but that's scary to let that door open and to just the thought process. The other part of that is I find that energy exhausting. To be honest, we call that, you can remove this if you want to. We call that energy verbal vomit in our house. And I have learned through growing up, just like everybody learns, you don't spill the garbage onto other people. You put the lid on it. Nobody needs to hear about that. And so for me, you don't have those kind of intense relationships or those kind of intense conversations because nobody needs to hear your garbage. You know, that what that does is those messages that we hear. And it's funny how we tune in and remember there's certain things that burn in us that, that are just like, these memories are never going to go away. And they're messages that amplify or confirm in some way the core fear that we have, the core belief that we have as our type. And so like, you know, the very thing that you're already predisposed towards self-preservation, and maybe in theory, that's how you were, you know, came out of the womb with a predisposition towards those aspects. And then what happens is those messages confirm that and any sort of growth that you could have had in the area of the sexual energy, those really get tamped down. Those are really just that we're doubling down on that. Like, no, we're saying no to that. So I hear that in that. And, and yeah, uh, some good awareness there. Thank you. for. My parents that. are great people. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, when you said verbal vomit, it's like, oh, yeah, well, you know, as a sexual type myself, that's exactly what was said about me. <laughs> yeah. I- <laughs> I'm not going to agree or disagree with that, Joel, no, but it's, it's, yeah, it's, it's, it, totally it, it's exhausting. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Well, this is Susan, and uh, that is definitely my lowest, that need to be dominant, to be on top of things, a risk taker. I don't identify with any of that. Now, the charisma, Debbie, I appreciated your honesty in talking about that that sort of sexual energy, but that, no, no, not, that's not done at this home it's not done in this church if I had any of that it it would have been a brief window and I married young and then that was the end of that a certain amount of charisma I believe in that people are very I'm approachable and people will tell me things and uh, I would never consider it verbal vomit I would consider it somebody needing someone to listen to them and and I almost wear a sign that says I'm good for that I'm glad to listen I won't be judgmental when I did go in for this uh, typing interview with somebody that I'd, I'd been seeing for a long time, she said, yes, you're definitely a nine more so than a two. She said, Susan, talking to you is like being in the presence of a warm, fluffy pillow. And she meant that well. You know, it, 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 normally you don't want to be a woman doesn't want to be a fluffy pillow. Um, but that 
but that's not a risk taker. And that's not charisma as in notice me. I'm, I'm mm-hmm. here. It's, it's more of a, I'm a safe person. Mm-hmm. So that bonding part of, and I think it was you who said, Debbie, I don't want to bond with too many people. I have a limited amount of energy and, and I know what I'm good at and I'm, I'm really good at what I do, but I don't want to spread it out and then have people asking me for more than I have the energy to give. Mm-hmm. So maybe that's a, a constant thing that I'm, we're hearing here with the three of us. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. And on the verbal vomit thing, I, Susan, you said people come to you. Yes. They come do that to me, but I don't feel like I can do that to others. Mm-hmm. So there, there's the difference, right? Like it's acceptable. You take, you listen to what others need and you help them with that. You do. That is totally, but it is not a door you open for others to see in. So mm. well put. Okay. Yeah. I can agree with that. Yeah. Yeah. That's a very good way of saying that. Yeah. I wanted to just, dis- to be distinctive on the, yeah, no, that's, you know, right. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, you know, there's growth, right? There's growth that we're all on this path of welcoming back the neglected center. It takes some work uh, to call that up. And particularly if that neglected center happens to be the sexual one, which goes against in many respects, against the natural kind of way that the, that the nine is designed. Um, And so, we're going to hear that more, of course, when we get to the sexual nines, we'll see that that inner conflict. So it's a bit more difficult sometimes to bring that on. I'm wondering if you've learned ways to bring that the sexual energy on a little bit more. I've been experimenting with some of that. I also enjoyed the group coaching for the Art of Growth. And I was very blessed to have like a whole bunch of eights and me. And so it really felt like a very safe space to experiment with kind of leaning in. So I'm trying to think I can tell my story. I can tell the whole story, even if it's a 30 second long story uh, without boring people to tears. And so that if I pick up and think I'm 20 seconds in and I've lost the audience, I think, go ahead and finish, Debbie. You know, it's it's okay. It's only 30 seconds. Um, And so I've been leaning into that. And then when, like I said, when I was blessed to be with this group of eights and realized, oh, they're not trying to be scary. They're, they are lively. I kind of looked at it differently inside my brain. And I thought, well, if they're having a lively, fun discussion and they're talking about an idea that's separate from all of us, and we're just poking at the idea and we're criticizing the idea, not the people. Although that's a little hard for some people to do. Sometimes it'll devolve into an attack that's aimed at a person. But if it's a healthy back and forth, I thought this can be a lot of fun. So I've been experimenting with that in some of the safe places where I've known people for years. I've got this structure around a group project. And so I feel kind of psychological safety. And then I think, okay, I can lean into this because these people love me. They know me. And it's, it's a safe space for me to experiment with that. So that's been fun. That's excellent, Debbie. You've illustrated how where you use the dominant instinct as that psychological kind of safety net. And you can bring in some of this other energy inside that and not have to leave that entirely to be something that you're not. You know, I'm going to broadcast, I'm going to take risks and do all that. Um, so that's excellent. That's a good way of doing that in a way that still feels 
true to who you are, still feels safe, but stretches you a little bit. Yeah. Um, something, this is Susan, something that came up recently, nines are usually thought of as very laid back, easy to have around, but we can be little pressure cookers. And if things add up, uh, we can blow. And uh, I don't have a history of that, but I did it big time just not terribly long ago. I had had a number of expectations that had been disappointing, and there was a large enough audience that uh, makes you want to change your name and disappear. <laughs> It was so unlike me. And so afterward, I called the uh, social worker that, that gives the Enneagram classes. I called somebody I work with at church that's a, a counselor. I called everybody. I, I called five people to sort of confess. I had been rude. I had blown up. I had been rude. All of them. All of them said the same thing. Well, good for you, which sort of amazed me because I, I wasn't expecting that, but it was a uh, I guess it was an emotion that they hadn't seen in me. Not necessarily one I'm happy with. So that's a problem it's caused. And it's more of an awareness of, I got to keep an eye on this. But the fact that they didn't think I had it in me, I think I need to give myself permission to have more emotions and to have more opinions. Good for you. Possibly. Good for you. Yes. This is Alyssa. Uh, for me, it's, um, fusing deep relationships with small, with one-on-one, essentially with one other person beyond just my husband and my sister. Um, and so I'm using the safety of those people in my social network. I have to set a time in my head when I'm going to do that. And then I know when it's over around the times when I'm in social uh, obligations and I know I'm going to be with those people who I know I can feel safe with to kind of go deep and just at least be intentional in the conversation and engaged in the conversation more. And that allows me to feel like, I don't want to say like I have an out, but that essentially is the feeling I, because I know it exhausts me. I know it drains me in all fashions. And so it just really allows me to have it. And I know when it's done and I know who I'm going to have it with. And so it feels safe to expand that. And to be honest, the social network is easier to do that with than the two that I'm closer with to open the doors further, if that makes any sense. Mm-hmm. So, and again, that, that, that growth too has come from coaching, uh, with our, our growth coaching sessions. Yeah. Wonderful. Well, all three of you have been fantastic and thank you so much for opening up your, your hearts, opening up your minds for us to take a look inside and see what's happening internally as the nine, the self-preservation nine is expressing these features, is working these out through that instinct. That's been very, very helpful. I've learned quite a bit by listening to the three of you. Um, And one thing I wanted to do is just sort of a fun kind of off the cuff. This is nothing I told you was coming around the corner. It won't be scary, but it's just interesting how you talk about the uh, sexual energy and how intense that can feel to you. This helps us to understand the waters we swim in because all of us do. And we have impact on people, unbeknownst to us. And so as a sexual type, I've never been aware of my impact. And whenever I would hear it, I would just sort of, as you talked about, Debbie, moralize what I was doing. Good defense uh, mechanism, you know, just add a lot of moralities to it. And not aware that that energy that I was seeing people pull back at times from and kind of wither 
was to me like, oh, you don't like what I'm saying. You don't want what I'm, so I'm going to amp up even more and watch as the, uh, you know, as they're pulling back even more and like, uh, and, and, oh, that's not enough. I'll give more, you know, and in that, uh, that lack of awareness, I'm interpreting that as you don't like me. You don't want to be around me. So I feel terrible. So now I've got to use even more charm, even more pizzazz. And all of this is happening underneath the actual conversation, right? So this is what's funny. It's like two separate different, you know, conversations going on at the same time. And so as I'm sitting here with you, I'm thinking, right, I got to sometimes pull back a little bit because that intensity leans in and understand how that can be experienced by you. You know, that, that understanding can be really helpful to moving us forward so that we can be more deliberate about our energy, right? So it's, as I'm seeing, like, I may have to call up a little bit more of the sexual energy here in this space because that's what's required here. But like you were saying, Alyssa, you don't have to have it at the same level as the sexual type who's communicating to you with all this intensity or for the same amount of time. It's like, okay, it's within this, the confines. I will stretch myself, but I, I have control of that. And I think that's very, very helpful to all of us to keep that in mind as we move forward is we have access to all of it, but we may not have the amount that uh, another has, but we can still grow a little bit in that space and it will make a big difference in our lives. So once again, thank you so much to each of you. You were fantastic. And that is a wrap for our Self-Preservation Nine panel. Bye, everyone. Bye. Thank you so much for listening. You can find out more about us at www.theartofgrowth.org. That's the place to learn more about our comprehensive training and coaching programs for organizations around team health. And you can also reach out to us there about individual coaching as well. And there are many tools on the Art of Growth website to help you on your journey. We'd also encourage you to check out the main Art of Growth podcast. Grace and growth, my friends.